0: in the book of Joshua, we're wrapping this up today, part four of The Promise. Have I told you this is like one of my favorite Bible stories? Can I be more excited about this? Oh, I love this story. This is the the best part. This is the climax of the story right here. Actually, it only gets gets going after this, but this is, oh, this is exciting. So we we are in a series called The Promise, moving out of our own brokenness, enslavement, mess, into God's promises. That's the story of Exodus. Out of enslavement and bondage and brokenness into God's promises. I think that's a snapshot of the entire Christian life. That's what he wants for you. It's what he wants for your family. It's what he wants for your marriage. He wants to take you out of dark places and bring you into light places, bring you into places of blessing and dare I say prosperity. Dare I say that God wants good things for you and I. So we say amen to that. He wants to set apart a people that are sort of unique, uniquely his, and they reflect his character to the world. And so in this series, we've been looking at this second generation, first generation, walked in circles in the desert until they fell over dead. Now, little junior has grown up, and now he's going to take the reins. Can this second generation be trusted to say yes to God's promises, even though there's a lot of obstacles in the way, even though there are walls, and there are giants, and there's difficulty ahead? Can God be trusted to do what he says he will do? That's the big question. That's the question that Joshua has to to resolve in his own heart. So we began sort of in this, in this time of preparation. Joshua calls the people. They're standing on the, the border, moving into Canaan, moving into the promised land. And, and the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Before you do anything else, be strong and courageous. Joshua goes to the people and says, people, listen up. God's going to do this. Get ready. In a few days, we're going to see some wonders performed. So consecrate yourselves. That's been our theme for 28 days. Consecration. Fully devoting ourselves to the Lord and to his purposes. So now we are in part four of that. Part four, possession. A lot of preparation has happened. God has been preparing the people for this one moment. We've seen some corporate thing last week we looked at this you know some 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 incredible sort of uh these signs and wonders that God has done and 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 these acts of preparation that God called the people to do one of them as the people made their way through the Jordan River at flood stage you guys know the story the miracle the water stopped the land was dry the people walked through and Joshua commanded the priests to take up stones and erect them on the other side as a memorial so they, they they do that. They they erect these memorial stones. He also God also uh, circumcises the men. They had they had not been circumcised, and God says now's the time to do that. They celebrate Passover. So now there's this final act of preparation. We're going to be in Joshua chapter uh, chapter five at the very end of chapter five. There's this final act of preparation before D-Day, and this act is for this sort of this act of preparation is for Joshua alone the rest have been corporate. This is a private encounter that's going to solidify in Joshua's heart what's about to happen. So I want us to read that together. And by the way, um, we, can, we, we, we can kind of think of Joshua like he is Moses 2.0, right? Moses 1.0, regular Moses, good old-fashioned Moses. He brought him out. He had signs and wonders. He saw God in the burning bush. He had these supernatural encounters. He led the people through the Red Sea. Joshua, in other words, Moses 2.0, he's going to have his own kind of Moses-like encounters. He too is going to see the water parted. He too is going to, you know, just hear the word of the Lord speaking to him. And here, in these next verses, he's going to have his own supernatural encounter with the Lord, just like Moses did. So let's read it in Uh, The end of five, beginning in verse 13. Bibles are in front of you. If you don't have a device, we'll try to have it up here on the screen. All right, 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, pay attention to that, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied but as commander of the Lord's army, I have come. I want to pause right there. It says, the Bible says that Joshua is near Jericho. We know that Israel was actually camped in Gilgal, about five miles to the east. So for some reason, Joshua has left the encampment at Gilgal. He's made his way deeper into enemy territory. Likely he's doing what? Likely he is scouting out the city of Jericho, looking for a battle plan. He is the, he is the recon, he is the recon force. He's out likely and possibly cover. We, we don't know exactly when this is, but he has gone away from the camp, and he is scouting out the city looking for a way in. He's a good, it's kind of what you do, you prepare for that. So he's going, he's looking, okay, well, look, there's, there's walls here. These walls are, what, a good 25, 30 feet high. Do we have any battering rams? No, we don't. Do we have any catapults? No, we don't. We really don't have a lot of weapons of war. And he's calculating, he's praying, he's thinking, is there, you know, can we sneak in? Maybe if there's, you know, caravan routes that are coming in. But he's going to discover later on that the actual city walls have been shut. They've been locked. They're in a state of lockdown. And Joshua's going to discover there is no way in. But the Bible says that he's there outside of Jericho when this individual comes up. He's considering plan attack. Joshua goes up to him and asks, are you for us are you for our enemies? He sees this individual. He doesn't recognize him as anything supernatural at this point. He just sees a man with a sword and the sword is drawn. That's kind of intimidating. If you are not where you're supposed to be, if you're you're in enemy territory and you see someone coming up to you with a sword drawn, this is not good news. You know, and Joshua, he doesn't run. He just stops and he's like, all right, I need to identify who this is. This is, either, this is either one of us, and I don't particularly know this individual, maybe, you know, maybe Caleb sent him out or something else, or he is a Jerichoite who is surveying the ground. He says, are you for us or are you for or against us? And he says, neither one, no. Are you this or this? And the guy says, no, I'm not. I am not for you. I am not against you. But as commander of the Lord's army, I have come. By the way, this is the first time, I believe, I've I've been looking this up, I've been trying to research it, this is the first time in the Old Testament that we see the idea, the term, the, the, the army of the Lord. This is possibly, I don't think this is part of their understanding. I don't think Joshua really is understanding this in quite the same way. But all of a sudden he comes face to face with this individual and this individual looks at him and says, I'm not here on your side. I'm not on your enemy's side. I'm actually commander of a force. I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord Most High. And I'm betting in that moment, something shifts in Joshua's heart and his mind. I'm, I'm assuming he has this incredible realization of what is really happening and what's at stake. It's possible that up until this point, he has no idea that there are armies. I didn't, I, to be honest, I didn't even realize this until several years ago. I know what the Bible says, but it wasn't a reality to me that there is an army of the Lord. But the Lord, he is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of armies. He is an army of angels who go to battle for him. And Joshua is encountering this for the first time. And he asks him, uh, Joshua falls face down to the ground in reverence. Something happens. His eyes are open. He sees it. He sees this individual. Many scholars, and I I included, we believe that this is not just an angel, but this really is the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Is Christ who's coming to him, who's standing here, the commander of the Lord's army. Notice what Joshua does when he realizes who it is. He falls face down to the ground. Often in the Bible, when people fall down face to the ground before an angel, what does the angel say? He says, get up. No, 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 don't worship me. Doesn't happen this time. Stays on his face. I think this is Jesus appearing to him in, in, in this bodily form right here and saying, Joshua, I'm here. I'm here to fight a war. I'm here to go to war. He falls face down to the ground in reverence. And he asks him, "What message does my Lord have for his servant?" It was in 2015. I was in a I was in a dark place in my life, just really struggling, wrestling with some things, high anxiety, high level of stress, high level of just you know a, a lot of oppression, and I was driving. Uh, down in Justman County, and had this, this encounter with the Lord in my truck. Beautiful. I just, I never had heard the Lord so clearly as I did in that 30-minute period. The Lord just broke through and began to speak in a way I had never heard. And it was, it was, it was stunning to me. It was, a, it was a visceral reaction. I just began to sob there in the car. I just began to weep because I'd never heard the voice of the Lord that clearly. And I knew that in that moment... There was such a strong connection that I could ask the Lord anything and he would give me an answer. So do you know what I said? Absolutely nothing. I found that I couldn't speak. I found that I couldn't ask because I was almost afraid of what the answer would be. I didn't want to ask him about ministry. I didn't want to ask him about the future. I didn't want to ask him about what I should do because I knew that in that moment he would speak and it would be sort of this, this inescapable answer and then I would be accountable for it. It's like... I, I just don't know what to say. I wonder if Joshua's kind of feeling the same thing, like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? I'm face to face with the supernatural. And he's given this new revelation to me. What am I supposed to do with this? And all he can say, all he can say from face down in the dirt, the dirt of Canaan pressing up against his face, all he can say is, What message does my Lord have for his servant? In other words, just like Samuel, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What do you want to say to me, God? And we find that Joshua is in the correct posture as a leader. And the commander of the Lord's army, this is interesting to me. I've even been sort of turning this over in my mind for, for a while, even up to this morning. What's interesting is that the commander of the army does not give him battle plans right now. Joshua is face down in the dirt. What message do you have? And the commander of the army, it seems like this would be the perfect time to say, get up, Joshua, you got a battle to fight. Somebody's going to see you. You know, we got to get out of here. Let's get back to Gilgal. Let's get back to the people. You know, here's, here's, here's how the battle plan's going to unfold. Jesus doesn't say that. The commander, let's call him the commander, doesn't say that. What does the commander say? He says, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. He's in the middle of enemy territory having this encounter with the Lord. And the Lord says, take off your shoes. Who does that remind you of? Who are those words said to a generation before? Moses, exactly. Moses has his own encounter. He sees the bush. He didn't see the person. He sees just the fire of the Lord. And the fire of the Lord says, take off, your, take off your shoes. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground, Moses. Fast forward now The Joshua is the same thing. It's like, Joshua, listen, the same thing, the same word that I spoke to Moses, I'm speaking to you. The same expectation that I had of him, I had of you. And I began to realize this. And I I think I want to say it the right way. That this is not just sort of a, a Moses moment, but this is a prophetic declaration that the Lord is making for Joshua. Meaning this, this whole place where you are, Joshua, this whole land, you are literally in the shadow of Jericho, in enemy territory, This is my land. This is holy. So take off your shoes, because this is set apart for my purposes, he says. And Joshua did so. All right, let's keep reading. Boy, I feel like there's so much more in that to unpack, but... For time's sake, we won't. Encounters his own personal encounter, his own personal. And there, there's something about this, I believe, that just you know, shifts in Joshua his own understanding of what's going to unfold. He's there making battle plans. But instead of making battle plans, he has an encounter with the holiness of God. And he's face down in the dirt. I think there's something to that. I think often whenever we are wanting to claim our promises, we too want to go out and we want to scout out. We want to use our own wisdom, our own common sense. We want to figure things. How many of you are figures? I like to figure things out. I want to make a way. I want to put my own logic, my own wisdom to the situation. I want to, I want to, you know, I want to survey the situation and come up with a plan. I love plans. But how many times does God say, look, you're here to make your plan, but I need you to realize you just need to be face down in my presence because my holiness is all over this situation, and I don't even need you here. it's almost as if Jesus is saying, Joshua, get out of the way. I'm here to fight with my own army. I just need you to be face down in my presence. But now he gets down to some tactics. Here we go. Uh, Chapter six, verse one. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. I love that past tense. For the Lord, it's already happened. He doesn't say, I will deliver. He says, I have done it. It's already a reality in the supernatural. It just has to manifest itself in the natural. I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Here here are the tactics. March around the city once with all the armed men. Joshua's making notes. All right, got it. Armed men, I like this, Lord. What are you going to do? Come on. We've sharpened up our swords. We've oiled up our scabbards. Scabbard. I love that. March around the city once. Perfect. What's next, Lord? All right, Joshua, do this for six days. Really? All right, six days. That's a lot of walking. Here we go. Have seven priests... Carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark, shofars. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with a priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. And Joshua promptly says, Are you kidding me? Is this a joke? He doesn't say that. I may have said that, though. This is not much, like, this is not a plan. God says, I know what I'm doing. I want you to send the advance guard with the priests and the ark and the people. Walk around the city for six days. On the seventh day, walk around seven times. The last time, make a bunch of noise. So that's not much of a military strategy. So what in the world is God doing? This is bizarre. God seems to do bizarre things. But in this case, what's going on? I think there are two, two principles of position that maybe we can sort of take hold of and plant them in our hearts. And here's the first one. The first principle of possession, according to the Lord, is he is strongest when we are weakest. God is strongest when you are at your weakest. So this, this, the strategy that we just read seems a little strange to us, but it's possible, I'll give you a little bit of a background to this. It's possible that that this strange 13 times around the city with noise at the end would have had some significance to the people of Jericho. You see, in the ancient Near East, of course, there's many gods in the ancient Near East. There's many gods in in Canaan. A lot of legends, a lot of myths, a lot of rituals. This is their religion, is they would have rituals that would sort of connect them to the divine. And one of their particular stories was the story of King Canet. And King Canet, in legend, Uh, would would uh, sort of after he had gone off to war he was making his way back to find a bride for himself and king Kenneth had his eye on the bride of this particular city and he wanted the world to know that he was a victorious king he was coming in to claim his bride so he and his retinue according to legend would come in and they would surround the city and they would march around the city day after day after day with great pomp and great circumstance until finally the, the gates were opened up and King Caret could go in and claim his bride. This was a legend. You can read about it. You can go and Google the story of, 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 the, of the, the Canaanite King Caret, the son of the moon god. And it's also very possible that the people of Jericho would have reenacted this story as part of their cultic worship. The ancient, ancient people often did that. So it's very possible, you know, and we, we kind of do the, the similar things in our culture, but it's possible that the people of Jericho, once a year, would have reenacted the story of King Correct with marching around the city and, you know, a big parade of people and noise and drinking and all of these other things before they go in for a great big party there at the end. Is it possible then? I don't know. The Bible doesn't, but is it possible that God is wanting to do something so strategic and so on the nose to get the attention of the people of Jericho. I think it is, because that's sort of been his trend in the last several books. We know that the plagues, for example, in, in, in Exodus, all of those were sort of these indictments of the false gods of Egypt. There's the God of the Nile. Well, you know what? I want to turn the, 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 the Nile blood. We've got this frog, God, who's in the form of a frog. Great, says the Lord. You like frogs? How about a billion of them infesting your land? God has this sense of humor, and I'm betting he's got the same thing going on here, So 13 times around the city, God says, I got the great idea. Walk around the city 13 times and then make a great big shout, a great big noise. And the people of Jericho, they're going to be laughing at you because they're going to know what this is. But watch what happens on that 13th time when the shout is raised and the shofars are blown and the walls are going to come falling down. It's a reminder, I think this is a reminder that the the nature of God's kingdom is so counter-cultural. The world says, take this by force. God says, no, actually, I want to take it by weakness. In fact, he says that in Zechariah 4, 6. He says, not by strength nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, my power, the Lord's power is made perfect in weakness. Is it possible that as you're, as you're moving in to God's promises for you, this is a principle that he wants you to, to take hold of, is that you don't have the strength that it takes to bring about what God wants to bring about in your own life. You don't have the wisdom for it. You don't have the resources for it. And God says, this is how it's supposed to be. I want to do things in a backwards kind of way. God's strength is manifest best in our weakness. I think that's one principle. Here's another one. Second principle is this. When we can give God the first, he can give us the rest. And I want to to read a portion of the story that tells what that means. And so, by the way, they do that. They march around the city once a day for six days the armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the army at this time i'm reading in in six verse nine at this time the trumpets were sounding it's not up on the screen it's okay but joshua had commanded the army do not give a war cry do not raise your voices do not say a word until thy day i tell you to shout then shout So we had the Ark of the Lord carry around the city, circling at once, and the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. They do the same thing on the second day, same thing on the third day. I gotta tell you, if you don't know the outcome, this is pretty terrifying. This is pretty humiliating. Again and again and again. Day one's kind of cool. You know what? Let's go on a field trip. We've never walked around Jericho. Let's all go. You know? let's go back. We're tired. It was a long walk. The next day, let's get up and do it again. Okay, well, what are we going to do differently this time? You know, are we going to like throw things at them on our walk? No, says Joshua, we're not. We're just going to walk. Day three, day four, day five, this is getting really old. How long are we going to keep doing this? The Lord said to keep doing it, so they keep on going. Seventh day. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times, in that same manner except that on that day they circled the city seven times. Now we're at 16. Now it's up on the screen here. The seventh time around when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. How many of you are shouters? Some of you are. Some of you just have like big, booming voices. I hear you yelling in worship. I hear you calling out. Some of you are shy. You don't like to make a scene. You're kind of introverted like me. What do you do, though, when the Lord says to raise your voice and shout to bring down the walls? You shout to bring down the walls. God involves us in every step of what he's doing. Did he promise he'd bring the walls down? Yes, but look at what he says. Shout and the walls will come down. Had they not shouted, what would not have happened? God involves us in every step of the way of what he's doing. Listen, but here's what I want, to, and here's what I want you to pay attention to. Shout for the Lord has given you this city. the city. Hold on. The Lord has given you this city, right? This is good. Finally, finally. Finally, we get something. I'm so tired of manna. I'm so tired of this tent. I'm so tired of wandering around. I can't wait for a real bed. I can't wait for my real home. I can't wait for like, you know, my man cave there in Jericho. I've already got my eye. You see that little city? You see that little house over there on the corner of the wall? That one's mine. Joshua says, the Lord has given you this city. Hold up, says Joshua. I got to tell you something else. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Okay, that's not bad. Sure, we'll, we'll devote it to the Lord. Yeah, you bet. Let's we'll have a little dedication service, put some oil, you know. No, 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 it says Joshua, you don't understand. The city and everything in it are to be, to use the Hebrew word, haram. Oh, you don't mean the good kind of devoted. You mean the bad kind of devoted. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Hold up, Joshua. Let me get this straight. So we've been wandering around all this time. And now God has done supernatural things to get us here. We've been walking around this stupid city six days. We're on our seventh day. And the walls are going to come down. That's what you keep telling us. And when they do, we're all going to go inside. But you're telling us that nothing inside of there is ours. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Nothing. Nothing. You see, Jericho would have been an ideal prize, by the way, for this group centrally located on the crossroads, up on a nice hill, heavily fortified. They estimate some 10,000 people likely would have lived here in this ancient city. So how, you know, however big that could be with a lot of people, five, seven, ten acres, who knows? It was undoubtedly well stocked. And for the people of Israel... Soon, this will be all that they have. And God says, I want you to burn it to the ground. They take the treasure out of the city and they put that in the Lord's treasury. But apart from that and Rahab's family, everything else is destroyed. How's that for losing your motivation? Motivation. Am I wrong? It's like, "Are you kidding me? We worked all this time for this thing, and now you're telling us we've got to burn it all." The Lord says, "Yes. Set it apart for me. Here's why that matters. If we can trust God with the first, then we can definitely trust Him with the next. You know what that principle is called? First fruits. God thought so highly of first fruits that He created a festival just for that. And His festival said, We're going to have a celebration. You're going to go out. You're going to bring in the very first crops of the season, the very first crops of, 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 of this new year. You're going to bring in the first livestock. We, we got goats on our property. We've had five born. You know, we've actually had. Six or seven born, we lost some of them in, 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 in the first night. They don't all survive. You know, can you imagine taking that first little newborn goat, the first little new whatever it is, and just saying, This is yours. There may not be a second one. That's the hard thing about first fruits is you give of the first with no guarantee that there's a second. It's not called last fruits, it's called first fruits. And it's extremely difficult because it requires that we have absolute trust that God will take care of us. And God says, I want to establish this in your heart as a nation that the first belongs to me. You're going to give me this city with no guarantee that you're going to get the next one. The only guarantee, says God, is my own faithfulness. That he must cement that in their identity that ultimately how much of it belongs to God all of it how much of your income really belongs to the Lord and so he's saying he's saying to the people or the people, rather, are saying to him, by this act, Joshua is saying, Lord, this, this promise, all of it's yours anyway, God. We, we didn't do anything to get here. We didn't, we didn't stop the water. Are you kidding me? We didn't provide manna in the wilderness. We didn't fight off the Amalekites. We didn't make the walls come down. We did nothing to get us here. All of this is a gift from you. It's all of it. So we're just going to give it back to you anyway. Why? Because we trust you and God says that's exactly what I want to see. And he's going to we're going to see this unfold. Yes, you've given me the first, but I've got the second just for you. I've got another city just for you that's even more beautiful, that's even bigger, that's even better. Church, if I could tell you anything, anything, it is learn to trust the Lord with what you have. Learn this principle of first fruits. Take him, test him, try it. Try it in 2021. God has so many promises that he wants to unfold in your life. But we're so afraid that we won't have enough that we hoard on to the small little pittance. And God is saying, look, you know, your hands are clenching to hold on to what you have. And I've got so much that I want to pour out, but you can't receive it. Why? Because your hands are like this. And God says, if you just open up your hands, let that little pittance fall through. I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour it out upon you. He says that. God says that. God says, test me and see. See if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven. And so when we can give God the first, he can give us the rest. And it's difficult. This is the hard part about it, is that sometimes the the very promises that God gives to us, he asks us to give those back to him. And it, it can be difficult to do that be difficult to trust our trust God with our career, with our finances, with our marriage, with our children, with our health. God says, look, it's out of your control anyway. So why don't you allow me to go ahead? Why don't you trust me with the first and I'll give you the rest? And so they do. Verse 20, the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. Come on, I have so much I want to learn about this. I have so much I want to learn about this engagement of the natural man, engagement of of my body and what the Lord wants to do. There's something about this principle of standing in agreement with what God says. They shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Actually, did they? Read chapter seven. God takes it seriously, his call for total consecration. All right. Music team, come on up. I just want to end with this. Two principles. He is strongest when we are weakest. Whatever new season that you're moving into, can I just encourage you to to just lean into your weakness just cast off any guilt about that, any shame, any fear about that at all. If you don't feel like you have what it takes, great, you're in the right place to be. But if you insist on trying to be strong, God can't show up on your defense. But you just say, Lord, I'm going to wait on you on this. I want to see breakthrough because I just can't do it. God says, perfect, I've been waiting for you to say that. And when he does bring about that breakthrough, bring about that promise, be aware that really it's all his anyway.